Welcome. It is your money. My name is Susie Jones, and it is nice to be back with Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb. Reminding you guys right out of the gate, anyone listening right now, you can call this number at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice Or you can email questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. And for the next little bit here, say one hour, 651-461-9226. Again, the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, and senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. Hello to both of you. It's nice to be back. Good morning, Susie. <laughs> Welcome back. And good morning, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hello. Hello, ladies. It's good to be with you. Good to have you back, Susie. Hey, I got to share with you really quick before we dive into the topic, my misadventures this morning, uh, and listeners can uh, hear this also. If I sound different today, I normally do the show from a landline in my office. Well, this morning when I went to my office, my garage door opener doesn't work for some reason, and I discovered I don't have a key to the external entrance to the building, so I couldn't get in. So I'm sitting in my car doing the doing the show for my uh, my cell phone in my car. I hope it sounds okay. Do you don't you own the joint, Bruce? <laughs> no, we, we're just renters, um, and I and, and I didn't even know I didn't have an external key until this morning. I can get in. So well, you here sound, I am. But you, anyway, you sound you fine. Can, you sound fine, Bruce. Okay. Okay, if you can hear me, we, I, I can still uh, help peg a little bit on our topic today, which is 529 plans. Now, if you're a frequent listener to the show, you've heard us talk about these before, but I still think, Peg, there's some misunderstanding, some confusion, and there's been some changes that actually make these more consumer-friendly now than perhaps they've ever been. So with the, with as we look at the calendar, we're coming up at the end of summer, heading into the, the beginning of another school year, college and high school, elementary school, and talking about 529 educational plans, going doing a, a really an in-depth dive just seemed like a really good idea for all those different reasons. So, Peg, look, maybe we start out with we go back to the very basics what is a 529 plan? Why should someone be interested in this? Um, who's not interested in this? And then we'll gradually work into ways to use it and talk about some of the complexities and some of the new things and so on. But let's just start, Peg, with the very basics. Yeah, it's interesting, Bruce, uh, as our marketing team tries to come up with topics, we have lightly touched on 529s on several shows over the last few months. But because of the fallout of the Supreme Court decision overturning Biden's administration for student loan forgiveness, we thought we'd take a different um, approach this time and say, okay, wait a minute, everybody. Uh, how do you fund for college in the future? And uh, what we know statistically, and we mentioned on the previous shows, that co the college board has said that tuition and fees increased 26.5% for in-state uh, students, and then also as high as 36% for nonprofit four years. So we're constantly talking to our clients about 
um, you know, mostly it's grandchildren today or their children. People are having, you know, kids later in life. So a few caveats that I want to mention is it, it it's almost as if we talk about college funding a lot in our offices because the grandparents and the parents are really worried about how they're going to fund for college or should they be paying for it? So the first coaching thing that we do is we don't necessarily want people to not take care of their own retirement and, you know, have them work another 10 years because they're going to pay for all this college. So we try to encourage them. They should probably borrow some money. They should uh, also, you know, educate themselves about what kind of money is out there that maybe they could qualify for, filling out that financial aid eligibility form. Um, There's a lot to it. So when it comes to our clients, we first want to make sure we take care of them. And then we're happy to help educate how could they take care of their children and grandchildren. Well, this 529 plan, this has been out since 2001 which is amazing. I actually had a couple of counts for my daughters when they first opened. And I've talked about this on the show before. Um, They were already ready to go to college at that time, but they had a fixed account in that uh, in the 529 that actually paid north of 4% of the time. And I'll tell you why I was so interested in because in, in doing that because of the tax advantages. So one of the things, um, although they're not deductible, so a lot of us think, oh, I qualified for an IRA and I get a deduction on my tax return, I'm doing that. Well, with 529s, you don't get a deduction up front, but the big deal is that the earnings in the 529 grow tax-free. Then it gets a little bit complex as to, well, then great, how do I pull the money out? Well, one of the things that um, not many people know, Bruce, is that the 529s are actually issued by states, like the state of Minnesota, the state of Wisconsin, the state of New York. They're, They're not issued by a brokerage firm or a financial advisory firm or a money manager. The state actually hires money managers to manage these 529s. Um, So one of the things that a lot of these plans offer uh, is mutual funds, mutual funds. And I don't know that I talk a lot, Bruce, about mutual funds, but all mutual funds are is it's a fund that has lots of holdings in it so that you have diversity and the ease of buying into something, you know, that's simpler, So these mutual funds are an option within 529. And so I've had a client say to me, well, why don't I just buy this mutual fund outside of a 529? Why would I even bother? Now, it grows tax-free. But if you do buy a mutual fund, you're going to get 1099s outside of a 529, and you're going to be paying some taxes along the way. So to avoid doing that, uh, that's just a good way to to, to um, buy a 529. The only ugliest thing about these 529s, and, and then I'll give it to Bruce, 
This happened last week. A client has accumulated 50, well, they have, um, they put 55,000 in. It's, there's 45,000 worth of growth. They've had it a long time. And now she's exhausted grandchildren. No one else wants to go to college. And she calls me the other day and says, okay, I want my money back. Well, we had to do the calculation because the earnings of 45000 are, are have a penalty of 10% if I just pull it out. And then also those earnings are assessed to your ordinary income taxes. Both, she lives in Minnesota, so both from a federal level and a Minnesota level. So a lot of times, Bruce, when people buy these, they kind of forget what might happen at the end. Now, yes, and I'm going ahead a little bit on this outline, but you can change the beneficiary on there. But she has exhausted anybody that she wants to leave this 529 um, to. And actually, I was having lunch with her, Bruce, and she texted the grandson and said, are you, are you ever going to go back to school? Because he didn't finish. And he's like, Grandma, I am not going back. I love my job. Um, and so then she was willing to cash it out. So, uh, Bruce? Yeah, so um, I, a couple of things I wanted to comment on. That was a great narrative, Peg, on, on the 529s. Um, the one point you brought up that I wanted to emphasize, you can live in the state of Minnesota. You could go get a 529 plan from the state of Virginia and go to school in California. So I think sometimes people get confused that they think if they live in Minnesota, they have to buy the Minnesota 529 or they have to buy the 529 from the state where they plan to go to school. And that's not true at all. The other thing I wanted to mention to your narrative about your client, so when you own a 529 or you invest in a 529, if it's grandma and grandpa, they are the owner and the beneficiary is their grandchild. And like you said, Peg, you can change that beneficiary. If you set up a, a 529 for one grandchild, and they don't need it, you can put a different grandchild on there and so on. But if you, if you exhaust all the possibilities and you don't take it out for what, what the IRS determines is quote-unquote higher education, then, yes, you're going to pay tax and a penalty. And that's always what I didn't like about them also. And I know before we're done today, we'll talk about some of the new changes. But the other thing I would say is, and I've told this story before, but it probably bears repeating, I had a client one time that set up 529 with the intention of helping grandkids, same situation as you, Peg, ended up not needing it for the grandkids. Well, rather than just take the withdrawal and pay taxes and a penalty, he ended up going to get a master gardener designation, and that qualifies for quote-unquote higher education. So he still got the tax-free withdrawals. He named himself as the beneficiary. So higher education does not only mean college the, it's a pretty broad definition of what higher education can mean Peck? yeah good point bruce um because up to ten thousand dollars uh you know can be used for private elementary religious schools and secondary schools that 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 didn't start in 2001 they have actually increased the ability of using these tax-free funds for other things um, also, if you graduate from college and you have student loans, you can actually take out $10,000 of that 529 
and pay off those loans. And then you mentioned, Bruce, the gardening and all uh, apprenticeships programs, you know, are now considered qualified for these um, educational uh, five two nines too. So it's a little bit more lucrative than it's been. So now um, we live in the state of Minnesota and we're broadcasting from here and each state has a certain amount that they'll allow you to put in, meaning um, you can put in money in a 529. Most of the people uh, that we're working with are grandparents who want to gift, because that's what it is. If you open a 529 for your grandchild, it's a gift. Or if you're going to add to, I, this has happened recently too, where um, the the client wanted to gift to this 529. Now the 529 already existed with her son. And so um, our financial planning department did an analysis for me, whether it was better for the client to open up their own account or should the client just add to the existing account that was out there. And there's reasons for that because these particular grandparents wanted to maximize the 17000 a piece that they can give as a couple, $34,000 without a gift tax or having to fill out the 709 form. But they also wanted to take advantage of what's called a five-year gift. You can do five years accelerated and add to that 529. And then that turns out to be, you know, 170000 for that joint couple to be able to give. And it happens to be that the son was going to be uh, going to school to be a doctor. So they, there was a lot of funds needed. Now, in that case, they will have to fill out the 709 form showing that they accelerated gifting. And why would they have to fill out the form if they allow the 529s allow that? Because if one of them passes away within the five years, then, a, you know, let's say three years in, they both died, they will actually pull that gift back into the estate. So there's some education around when clients want to do that, that we want to make sure that they're knowledgeable about uh, the pros and cons. Bruce? I want to go back a little bit, Peg, before we go forward. One of the other things you said in your introduction was you talked a little bit about what I would call prioritization, that you know, we have to focus on our clients and their financial success and their ability to retire and have the lifestyle they want at retirement. So I often think of, you know, people like you and I with all these awesome ideas. Oh, you should do an IRA. You should do a Roth IRA. You should invest in just a taxable account. You should do a 529 for your grandkids' education. So people don't have unlimited amounts of money. They don't have infinite resources. So how do you prioritize? And, you know, and, and in, in your introduction, you talked a little bit about, you know, you might have to get loans. You might not be able to pay for all of your kids' or grandkids' education. It doesn't make you a bad parent or a grand, bad grandparent. Um, and, and so I think we have to, you know, we talk to our clients and help them to determine what's really important to them. And as much as they want to be generous, you're right, Peg, they're our client. Their, their grandkids might not be our client, but our client, we have to make sure that they're doing what's economically the best for them. And I, I'll never forget, and I've told this story before too, I got a phone call one time from, a, from an old friend. He's not a client, but he's an old friend. And his advisor in his community was approaching him about doing a Roth IRA or an educational IRA. 
and he didn't have enough money to do both, and he wanted my opinion, which one was his word better, quote-unquote better. And I said, well, there really isn't a better. I said, if you want to place a higher priority on helping your kid with their education, then I'd say the educational IRA. If you want to save for your retirement, then I would say the Roth IRA. And he kind of got frustrated with me that I wouldn't give him a definitive answer as what's better. And I said, it's really a function of your priorities. It's not an exact right or wrong, black or white question. But I will say this. If you don't save for your retirement, there's probably nobody that's going to help you. But if you can't save for your kid's college, they've got other ways of getting money to go to college. And so I think he ended up picking the Roth IRA. But my point here is, you know, 529s are a great idea to help people with their education. But at what point do you have the resources to be able to do it? And how do you pick one? That's the other thing. You mentioned there's 50 of them. Each state has one. Who has time to do the due diligence and look at the plans from all 50 states? And that's where people like us come in. We help people determine what's the appropriate plan because we know who the money manager is for all the state's plans. And we can help the client determine, do you have the economic wherewithal to do this or not? And how much can you do? So picking the plan and picking the right dollar amount I would suggest is probably not something that most people can really do by themselves without some guidance. Peg? Yeah, I think we've witnessed uh, we've witnessed so many people uh, trying to provide a hundred percent of the financing for these colleges. And on the flip side, we've had other shows saying that, you know, the kids aren't coming out of college per se, you know, having just a super high income either. And with the thought of paying it back. So bottom line is my story is that if it's a, if it's an 80 or an 85 year old and, and I've got clients that are in that circumstance and they are looking at me saying, there is no way we're going to spend all this money. Then it's easier to say, go give them 170,000, you know, this year because they're going for this big career and that kind of thing. And they just light up when they, when they hear that they're able to afford to do that. We also have 50-year-olds. You know, people are having kids a lot later. They're 40 when their kids are born versus 20. And so now they're in their retirement years when these kids are going to college. That's actually making it much more difficult for the decision to be made. And that's because they have less earning years, um, you know, for themselves for retirement or they end up because of financial planning that we do, they end up working longer because we prove to them that they can't necessarily just quit and fund all this college for their kids. So it circumstances just um, in life these days is actually making it harder. Bruce, you mentioned um, the, well, how do you pick a state? Well, you, you should do a little bit of homework because the state of Minnesota does have a, um, a deduction on the state return if you're a resident of the state and you're below certain income levels you can actually take a deduction for making a contribution to the 529 so that might be one thing that you say well i'm going to go with the state plan also i would tell you that all states have um improved in that uh you know they've got well well-known money managers and um, you know, we don't have to compete, try to find the best ones anymore because they all have 
good money managers. They also have lowered their internal costs, which we love, because I mentioned early in the show that they actually are issued by a state government. That's not necessarily good when you talk about um, investments and low cost, right? So they've worked hard to get those costs down and make them more attractive uh, because we want to have um, we want to have kids make sure that they can fund college and parents, and so uh, so they've worked hard on that. Bruce, yeah, Susie, I know we're almost ready for a break, but when uh, when we come back, Peg and I will kind of wrap up our discussion on five twenty nines, and we'll have time to get listeners involved as well. All right, very good. You are listening to Your Money, the number to call for the next half hour if you have a question about 529s or anything. I would imagine those two would be willing to answer any question you might have. 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. Back with your questions on 529s or anything else financial. 651-461-9226. It is your money. Welcome to the second half of the program. Reminding you, if you have a question for wealth enhancement anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we want to remind you this is the number to call, one eight 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 six advice And if you have any questions going forward, your money at wealthenhancement.com. But for the next 25 minutes, it's 651-461-9226. Once again, here is Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb. Take it away, guys. Thank you, Susie Jones. Uh, so, listeners, thanks for sticking with us. Or if you joined us late, Peg and I have been talking about 529 plans, so-called educational plans. We talked about uh, the advantage of these plans being that uh, even though you don't typically get a deduction for your contribution, if you take withdrawals for what is can be determined, quote-unquote, higher education, You don't have to pay taxes on the gain, sort of like a Roth IRA. So these these plans have been around over 20 years already. I can't believe where the time goes, Peg. And and a lot of people have used them. Um, But what I've always disliked about them, Peg, um, is the fact that they're so restrictive. And if you don't use it for higher education and you get told the story of your client that exhausted all the possibilities of people that might use it, then it really probably ends up not being a very good decision because it's not very flexible. The other thing I never liked about them was the fact that we mentioned that every state has one. And when you start getting, you know, state bureaucracies involved, it drives up cost. And then you have to determine, does the tax benefit outweigh the extra cost? And it turns out it most of the time probably does. But the things that I didn't like about 529s, have actually gotten a lot better. You mentioned in the first half of the show, they've done a good job of reducing costs and giving investors good investment options. All 50 states are doing pretty good at this now. So the plans have gotten a little more user-friendly that way, but there's also been some other changes in the laws that make them even more friendly. Peg? Yeah, a couple things. Um, Before we go to that, I wanted to talk about, uh, I get this question a lot, is does 529s affect eligibility for financial aid? And so it it becomes kind of a, um, 
it's almost like the parents are expected to make a contribution, right? So the good news is the formula used to gauge financial aid with these 529s is the percentage of the parents' assets that will be counted to pay for college expenses is capped at 5.64%. So that's actually lower uh, than it's been in a long time, too. And then recently, the SECURE Act, SECURE 2.0 Act of 2022, very recently, gave more flexibility to 529 plans. So now you can enroll, um, you actually, you can always enroll in 529, but now you can roll R-O-L-L 529 funds over to a Roth IRA without penalties of taxes. And so what they've done is they said, oh, if there's a, a balance there, then you can roll that to a Roth IRA. The only thing I think this is kind of ugly, Bruce, in that you have to have had a five. You had to have you had to have have a Roth IRA opened for 15 years already to be able to roll that in. So I don't know how they came up with 15 years. Um, the other thing is, is you only have a lifetime rollover of 35000 So you're not going to be able to get a whole bunch of money into your Roth. And then annual contributions are subject still to that IRA limit. And so Roth IRAs are 6500 but they're 7500 for over 50. So I feel like, Bruce, they, they, I don't know if they are not in our business or trying to decide, you know, we said that Roths are around <laughs> for 20 years. But yet, you know, and now we're talking about kind of younger people. And I'm thinking, I just don't know who's going to qualify for that or it's going to take some time to be able to qualify for that. So uh, anyway, that's something new. The other thing I want to mention that we didn't mention is there's also these private 529s out there. And and I don't know why they call them private. All it all it is, is you're willing to give money to the actual school that you want the grandchild or your child to go to and lock in uh, the costs. So if it's five years or 10 years from now and you say, I want my child to go to the University of Minnesota, and I don't know if they have it on, there's only, there's 300 schools that have it, but um, not every school offers this, but you can prepay and then lock in that cost now. So you don't know whether that's going to be a good idea five years or 10 years from now or even two years from now, but they do offer that. And there's several schools now that will take your money right now, if you will. But then, you know, the negative of that is, is the kid really going to want to go to that school? Um, Do you want to make them go because that's where you put the money? So that's a little difficult too. Bruce? Yeah, so, you know, both these these private plans and the Secure Act 2.0, which, uh, which gave you know people a new option, the ability to roll the funds if they don't use them for higher education uh, into a Roth. Yeah, there's still some pretty onerous restrictions in terms of having to have had a Roth for 15 years and limiting your amounts. Um, but still, it's better than what it was. You know, so many people. And again, you mentioned your client in the first half of the show. I think a lot of people did 529 plans, Peg and ended up not using all that money for higher education and then ended up paying taxes and penalties when, when they used the money, at least now they might have another possibility to actually shift it kind of from an educational plan 
to a retirement plan, albeit with some pretty onerous restrictions. And it wouldn't surprise me because you said something actually, um, I, I, you know, kind of funny to me, but it's like the people making these laws obviously are not financial advisors. And they don't, I don't think they understand the consequences. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if over time, they make that a little less onerous. They, they, they maybe they increase the amount you can roll over, or maybe they reduce the amount of time that you had to have a Roth in place. I mean, who knows? I'm speculating. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit restrictive now, but it's better than it was. And, and all in all, we've seen over the years, I think you said they, they came into being 529s in 2001. I think they're more consumer-friendly now and better, more competitive now than they've ever been, but maybe there's still improvement in the future. Peg, last word to you before we go to listeners. Well, just that I, I feel like there is there is a lot to them. Um, one of the ugly thing with these 529s still is processing the claims. Like, so you have a tuition payment, you bought some books, uh, you know, getting money out of the 529 is you have to, you know, you have, it's like an expense report. You got to, you know, send in your, your bills and, and prove that you spent it on the right things. And so good news is they're actually starting to think about working on that debit card. You know, so there's a debit card when you have a 529, so you don't necessarily have to um, send in these receipts. And if you can imagine, like, these custodians hate this. <laughs> They're getting all these receipts in, and, and so somehow they have to make that a little bit less uh, labor-intensive. Bruce? Yeah, and the other thing, and I've always said this to people, you know, again, we said in the first half of the show, Higher education does not only mean college. And in fact, now it can be high school and elementary school, private or religious uh, or, or, a, or a trade. I mentioned master gardener designation. But also, you know, one of the things about 529s, Peg, is that the, the definition of higher education expenses has always been fairly liberal from the standpoint. It's not just the tuition, but it's, it's books. It can be computers or, you know, or, or things that you need for your education. It can be your living expenses. I always joke to people that the definition of higher education is pretty liberal as to what qualifies. It does not include beer and pizza, which I think for college yeah. kids it should, but it is pretty liberal on what can qualify as, a, as an acceptable expense that you can use the 529 for. The other thing, just one other thing, and, and so um, the person that's cashing out this 95000 they, I had them go scrub for all these receipts before we did that. And guess what? They came up with a bunch of them. So I, you can put these receipts in five years later. And so it's not like the year of you've got to be disciplined to get that receipt in. So we were able to send in some receipts before we cash it out. You know, um, I'm going to pay you a compliment. I'm just speculating here that your client really likes you and thought you were really helpful and valuable in this situation. <laughs> plus, plus probably a lot of other stuff too. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, you know, what we have to know in this business is just so far and wide. And I mean, without the roundtable at Wealth Enhancer Group, because even in that circumstance I talked about with the gifting of the five years, I went to my advanced planner and said, what are the pros and cons of these clients, these particular clients, you know, taking 170000 you know, out of their portfolio and, and would you suggest it? So I, I just have to compliment the whole team, not necessarily, I'm the, I'm the deliverer of the information. So, <clears throat> any, Peg, any last word or any last key point that you want to convey to listeners as a key takeaway of today's show, if they remember nothing else, you want them to remember this or this, and then we'll, uh, we'll let Susie take us to listeners. Last word, last key point in your opinion. Yeah. Uh, with all my experience in working with these clients, um, they just want to help their kids to the degree that it's detrimental to their own retirement. And it's my job to tell them, you know, that they're making a mistake. They've got to take care of themselves first. And then you can always take your IRA or your Roth IRA compounded down the road and say, hey, now I feel confident that I've got enough. I will help you either pay off those loans or do something else for the children. That's good advice. All right, Susie, if we have texts, let's take them and we take phone calls, but we'll let listeners uh, take us the rest of the way home. All right, very good. We have a caller who did not want to go on but left this note. Her name is Debbie. She says, can the proceeds of savings bonds be dumped into a 529? Thanks, Debbie, for calling in. Hey, yeah, Debbie, thanks for the question. You know what, Peg? I've gotten variations of that questions before. There seems to be a lot of confusion about using um, government savings bonds, T-bills, T-bonds, and so forth, and, and using those for education. And then, uh, you know, how does that mix or match 529 or educational IRA or something else? And, boy, I think, you know, she asked the right person because I don't know anybody at Wealth Enhancement that knows bonds better than you do. Peg? Well, I don't know of any rule, and I've never done it, where you can roll a savings bond into a 529. What I do know is there is language uh, about about savings bonds that actually qualify for using those tax-free, you know, or a deduction to use for college. And it's, it's got some income limitations. So the first time I've ever heard of transferring money into a Roth from some other entity is this Secure Act 2.0 that says that you can have, uh, you can now do your Roth, you can roll from your 529 to your Roth. So I, I don't run into this a lot, but um, I'm 99.999% sure there's no way you can take your savings bond and put it into a 529. But, Peg, let me ask a follow-up. So I agree with you, I, and, and I, I, those two things are separate issues. But do you, if, if someone doesn't do a 529 or they wanted to do something for education in addition to a 529, do you like the idea of, of government savings bonds for education? I, uh, it it kind of depends. I, I don't know why you'd use those versus a Roth. I don't know why you would. So a savings bond is where you 
let's say you have a thousand face value of a savings bond and you're able to pay $500 for this savings bond that will 30 years from now become a thousand dollars. I just don't think they fit as well. Now I've seen clients who have them and it was really popular a long time ago to uh, have a savings plan at your work and they would pull dollars out of your paycheck and they would buy savings bonds. And I just have so many clients that have these savings bonds from decades of time. And now we struggle getting rid of them because it's all tax deferred. And either they're in their IRA, you know, required minimum distribution time. And here we got all this deferral like an IRA and they've been a pain. So I I like the 529 versus a savings bond for saving for college. Yeah, I and, and I like your answer. And that's what I think also, but I thought maybe you knew something I didn't because I still get those that kind of question from clients, not infrequently, that just really, for some reason, have this uh, this desire or have heard good things about savings bonds and using them for education, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe it goes back to these old work plans <laughs> that they set money aside and bought savings bonds, but I still get that question fairly frequently, and I'm like, no, I, I've never used that, and I wouldn't recommend it. I don't like it, but I, I thought maybe you had a reason that, that I didn't. All right, Susie, let's go back to the callers. Six, yeah, Texters. yeah, 651-461-9226, that's the number to call here. We have about three minutes left early on in the program. A texture wrote, what happens to the 529 funds when the state decides that they're going to pay for everyone's education and you don't need them anymore? I know there was talk that the legislature passed the bill that would have a two-year degree be free. So if that's the case, you kind of touched on it, but what do you do if the 529 funds are there and nobody needs them at that point? Peg? Yeah, once yeah, once again, they're, they're, they're used more, you know, not necessarily just for college. So you could use it for um, K through 12. And you can use it for computers and things. So I still think there's going to be some uses. Uh, and is the is the state going to pay for housing and all these other things that the 529 allows uh, to pull the money out, Bruce? Yeah, the, the question really is um, kind of things that we've talked about the whole show. And maybe the texter actually texted, or like Susie said earlier in the show, and we did address some of that stuff, but yet, n- number one, like you said, Peg, the the definition of higher education is pretty liberal. So there's a lot of things you might be able to use it for that you don't realize. But number two, as we said, it's not quite as onerous anymore if you don't use it because you might be under certain circumstances, you might be able to roll that into a, a Roth IRA. So you're not necessarily obligated to have to take a taxable and penalty filled withdrawal they're again they're more user-friendly than they've ever been but there's still some restrictions on the back end Susie, can we fit in one more yeah let's do it this is this one just came in uh, is social security taxable income even though we pay taxes already on money that we put into social security um i guess that's a question about taxing social security um yeah yep. 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 no that's a that, that's okay. So, Peg, off today's topic, but that's fine. Really good, really fair question. A lot of people that are not yet retired and not on Social Security don't realize they're going to pay taxes on their Social Security. You want to talk about that quickly? 
Yeah. So quickly, um, it depends on your income, how much tax you pay on your Social Security. So if you're a married filing jointly, um, you're going to pay 85% of your uh, Social Security is going to move over to the taxable line. And so married filing jointly, let's see, that's not very much, $45,000 or so. Yeah, so most of everybody pays um, at least 85% gets taxed. There is a 50% level and there's a 0% level, but I have very few people, if any, that get their Social Security tax free. And then you've got the state that you live in that also many, many states uh, still tax it. All right. Very good. We actually have about two minutes left. Some of these questions continue to be about moving money around. Uh, This texter writes, kids have graduated from high school. Can we go back and claim their private elementary education from their 529? Is there a timeline? Yeah. I don't don't know. I don't know either. Maybe we can circle back. Yeah, go ahead. Well, there's no, no harm in trying. Right. And, and can There's you, no harm in trying. Is there is there a time limit, like a statute of limitations on it? Do you think if you have well, not receipts? The statute, but they actually just that's um, pretty recent that they added that. Uh, so you may I, I would try for sure. OK. All right. Texture. Did you hear that? Try. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to leave money on the table. Right, guys. I mean, if it's available to benefit you, you should take advantage of it. Right. I think usually it's been the IRS's policy that when they change a law like that, that it's, you know, after a certain date and not before. So you're not, you know, my guess is no, but Peg's right. It doesn't hurt to look into it and try. And Peg, maybe we can even, someone on the round table will help us answer. And if if we got it wrong, we can come back next week and, uh, and correct it. Thank you, guys. We're out of time, but we want to remind people if they did not get their question answered today, they can certainly shoot an email to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com, or you can always call 1-888-6ADVICE, and someone will answer that call, and they will call you back and set up an appointment for a free consultation. They're good people. Bruce Pegg, good to see you, good to hear you, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Have a great day. Bye.